God's grace and mercy and peace be yours from God, our Heavenly Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today as we continue um, our Judges series here at Connect, we'll kind of review real quick before we get into the story of Deborah, um, some of the things we did last week uh, just to get us into the book of Judges. So we talked about the book kind of as a whole and especially some, some important themes in the book. So first, we just saw it up there a second ago. Um, kind of this general idea that throughout this whole period of time, everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes and not in God's eyes. And so as a result, the people of God found themselves in this downward spiral. Do you remember that? So we talked about A, B, C, D. I quizzed my family on this yesterday. I won't tell you how they did. Uh, what did the A stand for? My family's getting this now. They abandoned God. They were beaten down. The people of Israel, right? They were beaten down by their oppressors, the effects of their sin. So they cried out to God, and God sent a, a deliverer, a, a judge, a savior to rescue them. And so we saw last week how this cycle uh, was kind of in effect uh, during the time of Ehud, who was technically the second major judge. He was this left-handed assassin who went in on a, a solo mission and took out the people's enemy. Uh, so today, kind of keep this in mind as we jump right in to the story of Deborah and see how this is at work in her time as well. So as Patty shared for us earlier, uh, the A and the B come right at the very beginning of, of Deborah's narrative. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh after Ehud died. And Yahweh sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. It says a little bit later, the commander of his army was Sisera, and Sisera kind of becomes the main antagonist in this account. Then the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh for help. There's the sea. For he had, Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So another pop quiz here. Do you remember the name of the bad guy from last week that the Bible said was, quote, a very fat man? What was his name? Eglon. That's right. So Eglon, uh, like Jabin and Sisera, oppressed Israel. But there are a few notable differences. Uh, So Eglon, aside from his weight, stands out in other ways as well. Eglon was a Moabite uh, who lived across the river from Israelite territory. Jabin and Sisera are, are Canaanites, at least Jabin is. We're not exactly sure what Sisera is in the beginning. Uh, but instead of coming in and, and kind of raiding the people of Israel, these guys actually live in Canaan. They are part of those people that God had told the Israelites to drive out, and they hadn't. And so these guys are really more of a, a real and present danger than Eglon had ever been. And we actually see this in the text. In chapter 3, it said that that Eglon had uh, forced the people to serve him. But in chapter 4 here, we are told that that under Jabin, really, Sisera oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So this is the longest oppression so far in the book of Judges. And apparently, it's, it's significantly worse than before. So these guys have 900 iron chariots, and they're not afraid to use them to impose their will on Israel. Now, significantly, there are a couple of of connections here to Israel's past, particularly the time of Joshua. 
Uh, back in those days, Yahweh had said to Israel, you shall drive out the Canaanites, even though they have chariots of iron. Well, here in Judges chapter 1, the very next book of the Bible, now the tune has changed a little bit. In chapter 1, we read that Judah could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Huh. The though has become a because. Israel has already forgotten about the power and the promise of Yahweh, and they are suffering the consequences as a result. How far and how fast Israel has fallen. And we see this in another way also. Uh, Back in those days, Joshua and Israel had actually defeated a king named Jabin in the city of Hazor. But now it, it sounds like the conquest has never happened. It's as if Israel's persistent sin has turned back the clock, has resurrected conquered enemies from the past. And so it's in the midst of this trying time that we meet Deborah. Now the scriptures describe her as a prophetess, who is a woman who speaks the word of God, who speaks for God. And in addition to that, Deborah is a judge. Now remember last week when I said that that the judges in judges aren't really judges, at least not as we think of judges. Remember that? Really important point. Yeah, Deborah is the one exception to that in the book. Um, Deborah actually is a judge as we think of it, an arbiter between people when it comes to domestic affairs. Uh, The book of Judges says that the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So she is fulfilling that role. But what is she not doing? She's not doing what all the other judges in the book do. She's not a military leader. And the people of Israel are in dire need of rescue. So we're supposed to notice something here. Something's wrong. There's nothing wrong with Deborah, but there is something terribly wrong with Israel, with their their military and, and just overall the state of their nation. Nowhere else before or after this do we ever find a woman in a role like this in in leadership in Israel. But apparently right now, men cannot be found to step up to the plate. We'll talk a little bit more in a few moments about what happens uh, when someone is called upon to do just that. But for Deborah's part, she has a very vital role to play. So this Sunday, as we've heard in a few different ways already, is LWML Sunday. Um, a chance for us to be able to recognize and, and to celebrate the work of, of women, especially in the mission of God. Now, this is a, a pretty important thing for us to recognize. God actually chose women to be the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, and the most important message that's ever been shared. And today, through the LWML and, and in so many other ways, women are absolutely instrumental in continuing to share the gospel and, and to accomplish God's purposes in the world. And praise God that they are, because quite frankly, uh, Christian men in this day and age have, in large part, abdicated their responsibilities of spiritual leadership that God has given to them. And time and again, inside the church and outside of it, women have stepped up to the plate, just as Deborah did in the time of the judges. But I do want you to notice something about Deborah and how she goes about all of this. She does everything that she can with with what God has given her, but she refuses to take on a role that God has not given her. 
She will not lead the army because she knows that God has chosen Barak to do that. Deborah knows that that men cannot hang back by the ships, but they need to get into the fight. And so she encourages Barak to fulfill his role. Now, unfortunately, weak-willed men are are not something new, um, not even in the time of Barak. Way back at the very beginning where the serpent was, was tempting Eve, Adam was kind of sitting there back in the shadows, allowing it all to happen. You see, men, uh, for us, the, the great temptation is not necessarily to do something really bad. The great temptation is for us to do nothing, to stay home and, and watch the pregame coverage while mom and the kids go off to church, to leave the, the devotions and and the Bible stories to mom, maybe bedtime prayers, instead of being the strong spiritual leader that God has called us to be. So praise God and thank God for godly women who recognize their value and their gifts and, and put them to use in the church, in the world, in their families, shaping events when, when you have the opportunity to do that, and encouraging your men, your husbands, to be men of God, husbands who follow through on what God has for them. Now, to the men of God here today or or listening in some other way now or later, don't follow God with with hesitancy, with apathy, with confidence, with boldness, with faith. Pick up the mantle of spiritual leadership that God has called you to in your family and in society and in the church. Now, of course, uh, in our reading for today, Barak is not really the best example of how to do that. Now, Barak's name actually means lightning bolt or lightning flash, but he is anything but a firebolt from the sky because when Deborah, speaking directly for God, calls him to fight, we heard how he responded, right? This is what he says to Deborah. He says, if you go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. It's kind of like one of those, well, I'll do it if you do it sort of things. Not exactly the manly courage needed in a situation like this, is it? But even more, consider what Barak is doing here. He's responding to a direct, explicit command from God with conditions. If this, then okay. But, but if not, I will not. Not exactly a strong example of faith. But what about us? Do we ever put conditions on the clear promise or commands of God? I will go and and make disciples of all nations if you provide me with a good salary, if, if you give me security, if you can guarantee my safety, if I will not be subject to mockery. You know, if it's not going to be too embarrassing, then I'll go. If it's not going to cost me anything, then I'll go. If I am guaranteed unmitigated success, then... I will go. Like Barak, sometimes we can be weak in faith and slow to act. Well, how does Deborah respond to him? I will surely go with you. I wonder if he expected that. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now, at this point in the narrative, we kind of assume that she's talking about herself. We'll see how that turns out in a little bit. But for just a moment, let's focus on that second sentence I just read, where Deborah tells Barak, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. 
Can you think of a time when you deviated from God's path, God's, God's road, and it hindered your success? <laughs> of course you can. It probably doesn't take you too long to, to think of something. You see, when we fear love or trust in anything or anyone above Yahweh, it robs us of the victory and the glory that God has for us in Christ. Barak feared Sisera more than Yahweh. He loved his own safety more than Yahweh. He trusted in the power of the presence of Deborah more than in the power of the presence of Yahweh. But trust in others or even in ourselves, maybe especially in ourselves, will not bring about what God desires for us. Only God's path that leads to the cross of Jesus and out through his empty tomb will lead to our eternal glory in Jesus Christ. As Jesus once said, if you want to save your life, what do you have to do? Lose it. Barak wasn't there yet. But God gives him Deborah to give him a a kick in the backside. From verse 14. Up. Isn't that great? Up. I should say, instead of saying like, the congregation would please stand, I should just say up. (laughs) Up. For this is the day in which Yahweh has given Sisera into your hand. Does not Yahweh go out before you? Yeah, sure, Barak, I'll go with you. But does not Yahweh go out before you? What does God's call to action sound like in your life right now? Where is he spurring you on? Whom has he given to you to give you a little bit of a a kick in the pants, to kickstart you into action? Are you listening to them? For Barak, uh, God gave Deborah. And Deborah's encouragement helps him to overcome his wavering faith, and he engages Sisera in battle. He and his 10,000 men are, are outnumbered by the enemy who have vastly superior technology. But what happens? And Yahweh routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Except one, uh, which we'll get back to in just a second. But, but consider what has just happened here. Yahweh's thunderbolt, Barak, has flown down from the mountain and struck at the heart of the enemy. In chapter 5, uh, right after this, Deborah and Barak sing this, this song of praise to God for what has happened. And, and there they actually give us a little bit more information about how God allowed this victory to take place. Uh, talking about the the river um, that had the plain there where Sisera actually would have wanted to fight Israel because he could use his chariots. Well, verse 21 of chapter 5 says, the torrent Kishon swept them away, swept away Sisera and his army. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. Sounds pretty powerful, right? Well, there's just one issue here. The Kishon is not a torrent. It's a stream. It's kind of like when people say, The mighty, mighty Cass. (laughs) But God had shown up by sending a storm that caused the river to flood the plain and made Sisera's intimidating chariots turn into death traps for his own army. In fact, this is one of many similarities between this battle and the one at the Red Sea where Israel had had crossed over on dry ground and then Egypt pursued them and and the water came back down and their chariots became death traps for them as the sea swallowed them up. 
The same Hebrew verb is even used to describe what happened to Egypt and what happened to the Canaanites here. It says that they were yahamed, that they were routed, that they were confused to the point of deadly defeat. And just like at the Red Sea, not a single enemy of God remained. Except, as we said, for one. Because we're told that Sisera himself flees on foot, and he finds himself at the tent of of one of his allies. And uh, this man's wife is actually the only one home. She's a woman named Jael. And so she invites him to to come in. You know, come over here, come in, come in, I'll hide you. And uh, so he, he runs in there, he's thirsty, he asks for water. He says, don't tell anybody I'm in here. And instead of giving him water, she gives him something even better. She gives him milk, and it was probably... Uh, goat's milk. JL actually means mountain goat. Well, this milk, coupled with the exhaustion from battle, helps Sisera doze off into a deep sleep. And then here's what happens. Um, and as I read this, keep in mind that I am reading straight out of the Holy Bible. Are you ready? But JL, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and she took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. Yeah. And then I love how it concludes. So he died. That's literally what the ESV says. Yeah, that that would do it, wouldn't it? As a friend of mine said, kind of ruins camping for you forever, doesn't it? Now, I, I take my role as, as a pastor pretty seriously. I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. So I, I did quite a bit of research into the, the customs of the day. Um, and I discovered that according to the ancient customs of hospitality back at the time, um, it was not considered polite to drive a tent peg into the head of your house guest. Also, back in these times, it was, it was considered the woman's job uh, to set up the tent. I, I wish that were the case today when we do go camping. Um, but a hammer and a peg were apparently these, these very common household items. And so JL used what was at her disposal to dispose of Sisera. She tucked him in and then she took him out. Can you imagine what that must have taken for her to, to do that? Just kind of picture yourself poised above some sleeping general like that. It turns out that not one, but two incredibly courageous women would rise to the occasion and compensate for Barak's weakness. And Sisera, the enemy of God's people, just like Eglon before him, dies this humiliating death. Earlier in, uh, or sorry, later in the book of Judges, um, another bad guy is kind of going around and, and a woman throws this big millstone on him and it lands on his head. And as he's dying, he says to his sword bearer, finish me off because I don't want anybody to be able to say that I was killed by a woman. Because it's humiliating. Well, Sisera, this terrifying general, is killed by a woman. After so much pomp and circumstance, 900 iron chariots and all, all that it says about his end is, so he died. The end. And in the next chapter, Deborah and Barak's song of praise ends with a prayer that Yahweh's enemies would always perish like this and that his people would rise like the sun. 
Well, that is a prayer that Yahweh has answered for us by sending us his son, Jesus Christ. Sisera's story and and his life came to an end, an abrupt end, narrated by a simple, so he died. Well, Satan's reign has come to a similarly ignominious end. He has been defeated. And it happens with a, a hammer and a nail very much like a tent peg. Through Christ's death, who received the nails of our sin driven into his body, we've been delivered. With the fall of the hammer that that drove the spikes into his hands and his feet, the oppression of sin has also come crashing down. A very important uh, ancient church father named Origen once said of Jael, she killed Sisera with a stake, which is to say that she overthrew him by the power and cunning of the wood of the cross. By the power and cunning of the wood of the cross, Jesus overcame Satan for us. You know, maybe more than anything else, Barak wanted a, a flesh and blood presence to go with him into battle, to be there with him, and, and so do we, don't we? Praise God that he gave us his very self in our own flesh and blood, in the person of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, he forever put to death our oppressors of sin, death, and the devil. So here's the moral of the story. We will fail. We will waver in our faith. We will will fail to live up to the roles and responsibilities that, that God has for us. But guess what? Jesus has overcome our shortcomings. And guess who's listed as a great hero of faith in Hebrews chapter 11? Did you notice that when it was read earlier? Barak. God made hesitant, fearful Barak into a hero of faith. And he's done the same for you. When you are weak and hesitant, God will still accomplish his purposes for you and through you. Through Jesus Christ, he has rescued you forever. And so as Deborah and Barak prayed, may his victory back then prove to be the pattern for every battle that we face as his people, and especially be the ultimate and eternal result of our faith, God's victory for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now speaking of weakness and wavering faith, uh, next week we're going to be taking a look at the story of Gideon where he uses... Now, these hidden torches, among other things, to defeat this massive army. Until then, may the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.